Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Pushing the Limits this week. I have a fabulous interview. Gosh, it was great. I just, uh, it was a long one, and it's a really, really good one with uh, Dr. David Minkoff, who is just an absolute legend. He is the author of the book, The Search for the Perfect Protein. Uh, this is all about amino acids, how your body utilizes proteins, why you're probably protein deficient, all the diseases and ailments that it can help with and getting the right combination and explains just stuff that you would absolutely blow your mind. It's it's uh, a, an amazing book that's really changed uh, the way I look at amino acids for sure and, and integrating them in my life. Now, Dr. Minkoff is also the founder of the LifeWorks Wellness Center. He has a huge practice in Florida in the USA with over 50 staff and he does complementary and alternative medicine um, and he's an expert who has worked with many of the world's top athletes. He is himself the uh, finisher of 43 Ironmans including eight Hawaiian Ironmans. He is uh, I think 70 years old or something and he's still doing Ironmans. He's got another one coming up in, the, in, the, in a couple of weeks. So just an incredible man both from an athletic point of view and from a medical point of view and as an author and speaker on these really important topics. In this show we get into heavy metal detoxing, we get into the science behind uh, dealing with cancer, we look at uh, amino acids, we look at um, toxic environments Environment and we look at the state of our medical world, uh, all of these issues we get into in this really in-depth uh, conversation. So I hope you do enjoy it. Before we head over to Dr. Minkoff, just want to remind you, please give us a rating and review on the show if you haven't already and make sure you subscribe. Um, you can always reach out to me at lisa at lisatarmity.com if you've got any questions that come up from these episodes or you want some uh, advice on a certain topic around what we we've been discussing um then please reach out to us there and give us a feedback on your pod, on the podcast as well and if you enjoy the content please share it with your friends and family it's only through networks and people you know ground level movements of people sharing good information that we can get this sort of stuff out into the world um this this great information that we love to share finally i just want to let you know i'm taking on a small number of clients on one-on-one at the moment with consulting around health without around mindset if you've got a health journey that you're on if you're struggling if you need help navigating your health then um, please reach out to me. I have a huge uh, knowledge base and a huge network of people that I can send you to if you are needing help and you can't work out. If you've got a, a medical problem where you can't work it out in the normal system and you don't know where to turn to, um, please knock on our door. We might be able to help you. Um, obviously got a huge background in, in um uh, brain injuries, uh, but also in biohacking in general and health optimization, as well as the whole mindset piece of the puzzle, which uh, I love sharing and teaching as well. So I work with only a very few people at a time because I like to be able to uh, invest time with people and my uh, brain gets occupied with just in a few cases because <laughs> I tend to go off and if I don't know something, I will go and find it. Um, so I don't, I'm 
don't profess to know everything in the world, but I usually know someone who does. So if you want to work with me, then please reach out. Uh, and the last thing also, we are holding every week a webinar. Either it's on epigenetics uh, one week and on its in the second week, it'll be on our running uh, programs and how to increase your running speed, how to improve your performance, how to do all that without avoiding uh, injuries and burnout. So if you want to join us for our webinars, for the epigenetics webinar, go to epigenetics.lisatarmity.com. That's epigenetics.lisatarmity.com and register there for the free webinar. Uh, it'll be on a Tuesday, New Zealand time, 1230 and the alternate weeks, we're doing it at the same time, Tuesday, 12.30, New Zealand time for our running masterclass, how to run faster, longer, be stronger without burnout and injuries. So without further ado, over to the show with Dr. David Minkoff. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm super excited. I'm jumping out of my skin. I've got Dr. David Minkoff, who is one of my role models and heroes, and I'm finally um, got him on my show, and I'm very, very excited to have you, Dr. David. Um, you're sitting in Florida, and uh, you are an Ironman athlete. Let's start there for a starters. You've done 43 Ironmans, and you're about to do your 44th, uh, and you've right. actually been to New Zealand. We just discussed uh, your, your time in New Zealand, and it rained a lot, unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> cold. The cold was worse than the rain. <laughs> the cold, yes. Lake Taupo, for example, can be very, very cold, can't it? The water is just absolutely freezing. But yeah. Um, yeah. So, Doctor Doctor Minkoff, you um, have a, a, an amazing reputation, and you've recently written a book called uh, "The Search for the Perfect Protein." That for me was an absolute game changer and a real eye opener. Uh, and something as a as an athlete, I think I've, you know, unfortunately, I've, I've sort of finished my competitive career now. But um, if I'd known that information twenty years ago, oh my gosh, what could I have done? You know, uh, sort of information. So I'm really, really keen to share a little bit about the book and your background. Um, but let's start firstly with your your story, your wife's story. You were an emergency physician. Uh, can you can you pick up the story there and just tell us how you got into what you're actually doing now? Yeah, so I, I didn't really, you know, I was doing triathlons and I was interested in performance and health, but it was sort of a crude viewpoint. My wife's a nurse and she was always investigating things. And one of the things that she investigated was that she had a lot of mercury amalgam fillings in her teeth. And she learned that the mercury is volatile. Like it, you know, mercury at room temperature is a liquid. Mm -hmm. Like no other metal is a liquid at room temperature. Mm -hmm. Like lava, you got to heat it up to a couple thousand degrees. But so it's, but mercury boils at only 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. So a hot cup of coffee or soup would be like 140, 150, 160. And it's an amalgam. So what they do is they take liquid mercury and they add to it uh, zinc, silver, copper. And so it's the things aren't really amalgamated together. They're, they're separate things that bond. So if you add heat, mercury can aerosolize if it's hot and it will come off. And there are lots of studies in like they put fillings in sheep and just what they're chewing, the mercury gets volatile in it. It gets in the air and they swallow it, they breathe it, 
And then they sacrifice them three months later and they find the mercury's in their kidneys, it's in their brain, and it's all over the place. Wow. wow. And mercury is very toxic. Like you took one amalgam filling. So it's about a half a gram of mercury. And you put it in a 10 acre lake, like you ground it up real fine so that you dissolved it in a 10 acre lake. And the natural resources guy came, the Fish and Wildlife Association came to test the levels of mercury in the water. Mm -hmm. They would put a fish advisory on it. Like you can't eat the fish in that lake because wow. the mercury concentration is too high because it would be toxic to humans. And that's one so, filling. Like that's, that's one the equivalent of one in point. 10 acres. Now the square meters of a body is maybe one square meter. It's not very, you know, one and a half. Yeah. It isn't very much. So you get these things coming off constantly. And the more you have, the more load you will get. And they can make you sick. So she decided that she wanted to get them out. And there is this was back in the middle 90s. And the dentist that she went to wasn't really proficient in doing this. And he mm -hmm. said, sure, I'll take them out. And he takes a high-speed drill, and he drills them out, and he aerosolizes it all over the place with no protection oh, for her. Gosh. And it went all over the place. Now, subsequent to that, she started to feel bad. She got problems with her thyroid and problems with her liver. And the doctors who saw her thought that she was at some kind of an autoimmune condition but they didn't associate it with the mercury. I didn't either. And they just thought they didn't know what was what to do with her. She's a nurse. She's smart. She's a triathlete as well. Mm -hmm. And then eventually it got to the point where one day she woke up and she had trouble lifting her arm. Wow. And her glute muscle was weak. And it looked like she had some neurological involvement. Um, one of the doctors thought, well, maybe this is MS. Uh, and... We didn't know what to do. Um, she's a nurse and she has a home healthcare nursing business. And next door, a guy moved in and the marquee said natural dentistry. And one day when I was going to pick her up from work, she, he was walking out of his office to his car and I stopped him and I introduced myself. And I asked him like, what is natural dentistry? And he said, well, we're dentists that believe that the mouth is actually part of the body. It's not a separate thing. <laughs> and that you shouldn't do things in the mouth that you wouldn't do anyplace else. He says, for example, you never use mercury in a wound. Yeah, or, exactly. you know, for a while, they used to have this stuff called mercuricone, which was mercury liquid. But they found that the mercury in the, if you were putting it on a wound, it's a good disinfectant but it also will get you mercury toxic. Yeah. They used to put thimerosal, which is a, which is ethyl mercury in yep. contact lens solutions. Oh my god! But gosh. they took it out because they found that you can put this stuff in your eyes and you could get toxic from the mercury that's in, that's in the solution. So he said, we wouldn't do that. And then he told me about some other things. And I said, well, listen to this story. So I tell him her story, and he says, oh, she's mercury toxic. Oh, wow. So he diagnosed He said, away. there's no one in this town that's going to help you because nobody knows about this or they, they're just not aware of it. But there's a doctor in Seattle, and he trains doctors in diagnosing and treating this with a natural kind of approach. 
So I flew to Seattle. I spent some time with him. I learned his methodology and I came back and tested her and she indeed was mercury toxic. And I did the protocols that he taught me and she got better. Wow. Over four or five months, she got better. And her symptoms went away. She was fine. no EMS, no um, it, all of the no. other things started to to disappear once she started to. So, what are the some of the like? Wait, let me just let, yeah. let me just take it one more step. Mm-hmm. So then we had friends that were sort of watching this whole thing happen, and they said, uh, you know, I've got migraine headaches, and I've got rheumatoid arthritis, and I've got ulcerative colitis, and I've got da, 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 will you help me? <laughs> and the emergency room work is shift work, so it's. You know, it, it's a tw- seven in the morning till seven at night or seven at night till seven in the morning, three days a week, maybe oh. four. And I had some time and she had an extra office in her nursing business. And so I said, uh, I'll be there Thursday afternoon. Why don't you come in? I've got a success of one. I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. This will be, we'll just play. We'll just see what happens. And anyway, <laughs> it. <laughs> it started to work. And pretty soon it was, I was being inundated. And we renovated a space next to her office, 3,000 square feet, and we set up shop as a a natural medicine clinic. And I got out of the emergency room and and we we got to be very busy with all these kinds of things. Wow. So that was 1997. And here, Here 20 years later, we have now we have a huge clinic and lots of, you know, 50 staff. Wow. And people come from all over the world for their you know, most of it's chronic medical problems. You know, they have cancer or Lyme disease or chronic fatigue or MS or Parkinson's or, you know, they're all, they've been around the block, many yeah. doctors, no solutions. So that's mostly what we do now. Occasionally, uh, I saw a couple of professional football players today, but mostly it's, 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 it's very chronic. sick people. So yeah, I just wish you were down the road from where I live and I could come and get the help that, because uh, your approach, I mean, I've listened to everything that you've got out there and uh, your approach just resonates completely with me. You've gone into the functional and natural medicines and you're dealing with people with chronic diseases. Um, so just following on now from the mercury story and how you, you helped your, your, your wife and then, onwards heavy metals are a big problem in our world aren't they how do we get exposure okay amalgams obviously in in um in fillings but i don't think people understand that there's you know there's mercury cadmium arsenic thallium uh oh goodness knows what else there's there's lots of things that we can be lead aluminum aluminum, yes um we're 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 being exposed to toxins and heavy metals 24-7 in our horrible environment that we've created for ourselves in our modern world. Um, And our bodies just weren't made for this, were they? That's right. That's right. I mean, you look at Fukushima, the amount of, of, I mean, uranium is a heavy metal. It's the heavy, it's one of the heaviest metals. So, you know, you got, you got, you got scads of this released into the ocean and into the air and it blows around. When the Iraq war was going on, they used, uh, uranium depleted warheads because the, they were making tanks that regular warheads wouldn't penetrate. But if you put a depleted uranium warhead on that missile, when that thing hit the tank, the temperatures were so hot that it would penetrate the tank. And so there was, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of pounds of these things were scattered all over Iraq through two wars which released a lot of uranium and a a fair number of, I know at least American soldiers 
started getting heavy metal toxicity. And when wow. they were tested, they had high levels of uranium in their body. So it is, it is all over. And we have sort of dumped this onto the planet, you know, leaded gasoline on the planet for 50 or 60 years, saturated the countryside. So vegetables grown have high lead levels and it's in the ocean. So most fish have lots of mercury. Yeah. And we, our bodies are exposed to it and we, we absorb it or we breathe it. Coal burning produces a lot of mercury unless it's filtered right. Some vaccines still have mercury. Do they still uh, have mercury yeah, in them? That chimerosol and, and yeah. yeah. So and we're giving this to our children and wondering why the heck they've got autism and ADHD and uh, right. you know cancers and, and 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 things that can be a knock on. It's very hard to correlate this. But um, I heard in one of your talks you were talking. I think back uh, when you were a young doctor, there was like one in two hundred and fifty thousand kids had autism or some great number. And now right. it was like one in 40 or something ridiculous. Um, we're right. doing something massively wrong in our environment. And we seem to just bumble along as if everything's fine. Uh, and yet we've right. got all these chronic diseases that are knockoffs or knock, knock-ons from all of these things and the, the toxicity that we're in, involved with. Um, so how can we, if we're looking at the heavy metal situation, how if we don't have access to you because we don't live in America and we can't come to Florida, which is a real shame, how do we get uh, ourselves detoxified from, from some of these heavy metals or how can we test for it? So I, I think to detox someone from heavy metals, it's really important that you make sure that they're in a position where they can be detoxified. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the body tries to keep electrical balance. You have to have as many negatives as you have positives. Um, many people are mineral depleted. They don't have enough magnesium or zinc or selenium. Okay. And so those are all positively charged metals. Mm-hmm. Like is mercury and lead. And if you get someone who's depleted in these things, and then you try to detoxify them, some of the things that are holding on, that the body's holding on to, will be the bad heavy metals if it doesn't have the good minerals in those places. Right. And so okay. the body doesn't detoxify very well when you try to pull it off when it's mineral depleted. So you have to make sure that they're mineral good. You have to make sure that their gut is good. They're not full of parasites and, ye- and mercury, uh, yeast and, you know, and bad digestion and that's because then they have a hard time. Yeah. They have to make sure that their amino acid levels in their blood are okay, because if they're not okay, all the detox systems are based on amino acids. And so if you don't have that sort of ready and waiting, you can get into trouble. You can try to move a metal, which the body has stuck somewhere that it feels is relatively safe. It's in the fat somewhere, or it's at the periphery of an organ and it isn't really causing toxicity. But then if you give a binder, like a chelator, one of these things that Mm -hmm. will bind heavy metals, Mm -hmm. and you pull it off of there, and it gets to the person's liver, and the liver's already overloaded with the plastics and the Tylenol and the rest of the stuff that they're taking, it won't won't move it out, and it will circulate around, and it can end up someplace worse. Like your brain. Like I had a, a, a patient here not too long ago. She went to a doctor. He did a test on heavy metals for her, 
she was indeed very high in lead. But he didn't understand that you have to set them up. Their hormones, their gut, their nutrients have to be sufficient so that you can detoxify them. And she wasn't set up. And so he put her in an IV room and he gave her an IV medicine, which will bind lead. And she ended up pretty much, I don't know if you have that expression in, in New Zealand, she's a bag lady. <laughs> like, she yeah. wear earphones. She listened to religious music. She carried two paper bags around and she was really like uh, totally out of it. Out of now, she yeah. was, she had been one of the most successful realtors in the area. And wow. she turned into someone that couldn't even really take care of herself. Just from and, that. You know, talks to herself. And she was her bread, her, 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 her brain, the lead in her bones got it's transferred gone. to her brain. Oh my gosh. And it took us a couple years to get her to the point where we could get the lead out of her brain and that she could actually wake up and get normal. But it was a medical error at the at the original time. And this is so, a very dangerous, like because that would be EDTA uh, IV, wouldn't it? Right. Because right. um, I've um, got a case. So my mum, who had an aneurysm four years ago, and I've rehabilitated her back from massive brain injury to being now completely normal, and I've written a book on it called Relentless, which I'll send you a copy of. Um, and one of the things that I identified was mercury poisoning. And I've been too scared, though, to go and get EDTA chelation in her case because she's a 79-year-old with fatty liver disease, uh, kidney, you know. Um, so for someone like who, who, who doesn't have a doctor who's a real expert in the area it, to do something like this, I can set her body up the best I can with the right vitamins and the right minerals and selenium and zinc and things and vitamin Ds and, and all of those things that I have her on. Is yep. there any, and vitamin C is another big player. Is there anything that I can give her without, you know, obviously you don't want to do something like that, um, you know, and cause a really a, a big detox reaction. Right. Uh, and, you know, yeah. with someone who's fragile, should say, you know, that's so, a safe way of doing it. An easy thing, chlorella is a pretty good chelator. Oh, brilliant. Chlorella DLT. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you could add like uh, three, four capsules of chlorella with each meal. Wow. Okay. It will help bind the mercury that's in the food and it's not really absorbed. And the chlorophyll in there is good for her. And you can just start to tease it out with that. Very There slowly. is a product called Metal Free. We, my, I have a nutrition company that we make. It's called mm -hmm. Metal Free. Mm -hmm. It's very safe. It's natural. It's a spray. So you can start with a little bit. And in someone like her, start with just one spray underneath her tongue once a day. Just very Do it careful. for a week or 10 days. She's doing okay. She's not getting sick with it. She's tolerating it. Okay, you could go to two sprays. And you could just tease it up where it's done slowly over 6 to 12 months. You can use that with the chlorella. You can you can get her to get the heavy metal start coming out, and they, and that's very workable, and a lot of people do that. What about activated charcoal? Is that another good chelator, or is that charcoal? It would be a substitute for chlorella. Yeah, so you know, it's a binder. I it's think the one or the other. Yeah, yeah, I think the chlorella is better because there is some nutritional content. Charcoal just binds sort of randomly everything. You see, uh, yeah, whereas can... the 
yeah, you can get mineral deficiencies too if you have too much of, say, activated charcoal, couldn't you? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That, that's, so, yeah, that, that's a really good sort of um, framework. And, on, and I'll link to Dr. Minkoff's uh, website, everyone. So it's bodyhealth.com, and I'll put that in the show notes and the links to those particular products because I think, you know, they, they'd be good, safe ways for people who don't have access to a doctor that can do it really safely um, right. to start to detoxify themselves. Um, so, I wanted to move now a little bit. So that's some heavy metal and we've, you know, touched on that pretty briefly, but it's a major, major problem. And when we're looking at lots of other diseases, these can be have a, the heavy metal can have a massive impact, can't it? So things like MS or Parkinson's or cancers. I heard in one of your interviews saying uh, on Ben Greenfield's uh, podcast, many of the cancer patients that you see or most of them have a heavy metal problem. And there's probably a correlation there. Um, is that, you know, looking at if we, you know, move the discussion towards cancer, um, would that be one of the first places that you would look for a cancer patient? What happens with cancer, and this, this has been known since the 1920s and 30s, a doctor, a German doctor uh, named Otto Warburg, Mm-hmm. was doing was looking at the biochemistry of what makes a cancer cell different than a healthy cell or what causes a cancer cell to trans or I mean a healthy cell to transform into a cancer cell mm-hmm. and what he discovered is that a healthy cell makes energy by taking the oxygen that you breathe which eventually gets to the cell and the food that you eat, and those two things go into the little factory in the cell called a mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And the cell is able to extract the energy from the food and make ATP, which is the energy product, Mm -hmm. particle. And then the cell can live. It can do its job. It can get in nutrients. It can get rid of toxins. It can make proteins, depending on what its job is. Because the impact of toxins and infections are around us all the time. And now they're at levels that are, you know, like unheard of Yeah, in the, you know, 80 something thousand chemicals in the environment, which have ne- never been tested for safety and heavy metals. And many people are on many different kinds of medications, mm. which are just different kinds of toxins really. I mean, in an emergency, someone might might need a medicine, but yep. as a long-term solution to a health problem, it's usually not the best way to go. Absolutely. And so there are, you know, and so there are a lot of environmental influences which can, when those drugs or chemicals or infections get into the mitochondria in the cell, Lock that mitochondria from being able to use oxygen and food to make energy. Mm-hmm. And that cell then, when it can't make ATP in enough quantity, because when you use oxygen, it can make 38 of these energy particles yep. each go around. Yep. It can also make energy not using oxygen. So that's called anaerobic metabolism. So fermentation. No oxygen. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's fermentation. You only make two ATPs. Mm. Now, it can't live on two ATPs. 
So it's got to change. It either is going to die or it's going to change. And, this and if it changes. Turns, does that turn on the oncogenes? It turns, yeah. And I don't even really think they're oncogenes. These are normal genes that in a fetus make one cell into, you know, a hundred trillion in a full adult. Yep. They're growth factor genes. They're, they're, they're blood vessel factor genes. And they turn on. And in a, in, you know, an adult person, they're not supposed to be on, but they get turned on because this cell now needs needs lots. And it, it, the preferred fuel for that cell ends up being sugar. And so it needs to get a lot of sugar because if you can only make two ATPs on every go around, it's got to be able to get way more sugar in that cell in order to get enough ATP so that it can live. And that's what cancer is. And this is so, why people with cancer then have these cravings for sugar and and um, lose a lot of weight very quickly because they're not able to produce and they're extremely fatigued. Um, well, they, they, have a, they have a very high need for sugar. They have a very high need for sugar. And, you know, one of the strategies, the anti-cancer strategies, is to not give them any sugar. Yeah. Because our own cells could use fat. They can use proteins. But cancer cells prefer sugar. So, you know, the, there's a standard medical test done for cancer patients, which is to give them, is to do what's called a PET scan. Mm-hmm. And the PET scan is sugar, IV. The sugar has a radioactive label on it. And you can see where does the sugar go. Wow. And if, let's say, a woman's got a breast cancer, the normal cells are eating one unit of sugar, and the breast cancer cells are using 25 units of sugar. Wow. So the PET scan shows a 25 where the lump is, and it shows a one in the arm and the brain and the other breast or in the kidney where there's no cancer because this thing is so rapidly Hungry. using the sugar that it sucks it up. Wow. Now, sometimes that's five times, sometimes it's 10 times, sometimes it's 20 times. The more aggressive the cancer, the higher the metabolism and the more, wow. the higher the reading on the PET scan. So that tells you what the cancer is doing and what it's eating. And then anti-cancer strategies have to be to figure out, can we block that guy from getting sugar or utilizing sugar? Because otherwise it's going to use it and it's going to replicate. It's going to make more of itself. And then you really then you, and I've just done a, a series actually on in vitamin C. Um, with a number of researchers and scientists and doctors um, around intravenous vitamin C um, because I recently had a case with my father who unfortunately passed away in July um, with sepsis and I was battling to get intravenous vitamin C for him in the ICU and I was unable to. They wouldn't let me, unfortunately. I, I did win in the end, but by then his sepsis was, you know, multiple organ failure and, and um, too, too little too late. Um, and so I'm on a bit of a crusade now to <laughs> um, get that changed and, and support the, the doctors and scientists that are screaming from the rooftops that we should be using vitamin C, not only for sepsis, but also for things like uh, COVID. There's lots of studies going on um, right. and cancer. Um, and one of the researchers that I had on last uh, two weeks ago, Professor Margaret Visses, she has done a lot of study around cancer and vitamin C. Um, and getting the vitamin C, the, the molecule of, of vitamin C is very similar to glucose, so the cancer cells can take it up and thinking it's yes. glucose. And if we can get the levels, I think the levels were from memory 350 to 400 um, micromolar 
it can get and it can actually kill the cancer cell. Don't quote me on yes. those numbers, people, but um, listen to the episodes. Um, but the, and it can also stop the tumor growth, the HIF factor from being switched on. That g- turns that gene off so that the tumor can't develop its own blood supply. Um, so I know that that's a really, really powerful um, intervention for cancers. It's not the obviously the only one. Um, right. Keto diet is another as we mentioned, starving the, the cancer cells of, from the glucose and having that in com- combination with uh, things like vitamin C. What else is, uh, so the, the cancers are turning on, these cancer genes, if you like, or these cells are turning cancerous, probably because of our environment, probably because of heavy metals, toxins, bad foods, uh, our food practices, all of these things are making cancer levels sort of skyrocket. Um, what can we do to prevent ourselves? I mean, vitamin C is obviously one that I'm big on <laughs> um, as a prevention. What else can we do? We can do the heavy metal detoxing in a controlled manner, as we spoke about. What else can we do with for, for cancer prevention? Because I'm always about the prevention side. <laughs> okay. okay. So, I mean, clean food organic, super important. Um, The actual best anti-cancer drug is vitamin D. Vitamin D. Yes. There are lots of studies that show that people who have a blood level of vitamin D between 70 and 90 have half the rates of cancer that people have low vitamin D level. Now, there's no known drug or medical intervention, or anything known that is that effective. So if the person, if someone's listening to this, and you don't know what your blood level of vitamin D is, you should go to your doctor or your laboratory, and you should get a blood level of vitamin D. Wow. The levels in America run 30 to 100 is considered normal. In the studies that have been done, if the level is between 70 and 90, in America, for the average person, it means that they're going to be taking about 10,000 units a day of vitamin D3. Wow, that's a lot. Right high. That's a yes. high. Okay, yeah. there's no toxicity with, with that sort of a level of Well, you uh, have to measure C? it. I mean, at that level, that's the average person that I see. If I put them on 5,000, they're running in the 40s. If I put them wow. on 10,000... They're running in the, you know, I want them 70 to 90-ish. If they're 65, I'll leave them alone. If they're 95, it's fine. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting because the way you're supposed to get vitamin D is to take it with a capsule. Mm. You're supposed to get it from sunlight. Mm. Mm. And sunlight hitting the body will convert the, the molecule into vitamin D, and that's how we're supposed to get it. Mm. Unfortunately now... And I think the reason is glyphosate on the planet uh-huh. is that, so I'm in Florida. There's 300 days a year of sunshine. We're in a subtropical climate. So the sun is high enough for most of the year where the sun should be effective at converting uh, our bodies to make vitamin D. I have tested vitamin D levels in every patient I have seen for the last 20 years except for one person, and she was using a tanning bed every day, Mm -hmm. except for one person, 
everyone else had a subtherapeutic level of vitamin D. Wow. Now, I'm in Florida and there's sunshine. Now, some people wear sunscreen and then the vitamin D doesn't get converted. But a lot of people don't wear sunscreen and the vitamin D doesn't convert. Now, my own example. So I am about 12 hours a week outside in the sun, unprotected. I'm swimming. Mm -hmm. I swim in an outdoor pool at noon. I ride my bike uh, a lot. I'm outside. And I run a lot, usually without a shirt if it's warm and shorts. So I'm exposed. My vitamin D level unsupplemented is 34. Wow. It's shocking. I have to take 12,500 units every day to keep my level. Last time I did it, it was 84. Wow. Okay. Now, okay. The, the, this is my theory on this, is this herbicide, glyphosate, Roundup, mm, horrible. is so prevalent around the world, something like three-quarters of the rain samples will show glyphosate. I have measured thousands of patients for urine levels of glyphosate. I've never tested anyone who was negative for glyphosate. Gosh. Like never. That's like shocking. It's in our food. It's in our water. It's, it's, we're getting it. Mm. And one of the side effects of glyphosate is it blocks the conversion of the sun's ability to produce active vitamin D. And I think that's at least one of the factors that's causing this problem because there's an epidemic wow. of, of low vitamin, vitamin D. D. And vitamin D is so important for your immune system, for your bone health, for uh, hormones, for, for so many, you know, I think there's over, I don't know, 700 processes in the body or something that it's responsible for. And here's me, like I take 5,000 IU a day and I'm thinking I'm really good. And I, and I study functional genomics when I've discovered that in my genes, for example, because I'm of Maori descent, so native descent, my father was Maori, I uh, have yeah. a, a, a slightly darker skin tone. Um, yeah. I, I need more vitamin C because my transporters don't do their job very well and I don't have a heck of a lot of receptors. So I've been aware of this problem and I'm taking 5,000, but I'm prob- I haven't actually gone and got it tested. I'm probably still deficient given... Well. You know, and that's someone who's already on vitamin D. Um, so that that's that, that's a bit of an eye opener. And so, how does what is the mechanism? Why why is cancer and vitamin D? What you know? Why is why is vitamin D so important for cancer? Well, like you said it's immune function. It's it's a it's more of a hormone than it is a vitamin. It yeah, has absolutely. lots of different things that are really important. And they just noticed this association of cancer incidence versus vitamin D. And the people at high levels, they had much less MS and less cancer and less osteoporosis wow. and less hypertension. Uh, so it's really important. It's, it's a single nutrient. Now, there's lots of things that, you know, if, you're, if your selenium level is low, if your vitamin A level is low, I mean, these are all things, your zinc level is low. These are all things that are super important in cancer. Yep. If you have low amino acid levels. It's important in cancer. So it isn't a one thing thing, but these are things that are measurable. They're not like a vitamin D blood test is maybe 25 bucks. It's not expensive. Yeah. I mean, these things, these are things that, that regular doctors can order. Um, and of course, guys who are doing functional medicine or functional nutrition, they can order it. And so on everyone we see, I order panels of all this stuff because you find that virtually everybody isn't getting enough nutrition from the diet that they eat to keep them healthy and well-nourished. 
and they're in a toxic environment where you need more of this stuff, not less. Yep. And that if you can normalize these things, then the the person's going to have more resilience to this huge toxic factor that we're all living in. Yeah, this horrible soup that we're we're stuck in. Um, so I wanted to transition now over into your book, uh, the search for the perfect protein, because I think this is a good segue coming because. Uh, I didn't understand, like as an athlete, I used to always, you know, I've done 70,000 kilometers in my lifetime. I've run pretty much every desert there is on the planet. I've done horrific things to my body. (laughs) Um, And I would always be taking branch chain amino acids and they certainly helped my performance. Um, But I'm now starting to understand after reading your book um, that, they aren't the whole picture and they are only three of the essential amino acids. Um, And I've got perfect aminos coming hopefully today (laughs) to my house. And I'm super excited because I know I'm protein deficient. I feel it. I'm constantly anemic, even though I have a good diet and I do everything right. Um, And I know a lot of the athletes and a lot of the women, especially that I work with have, have are fighting these sorts of battles as well. Can you tell us, like, the what what is an amino acid? How, uh, why is this absolutely crucial knowledge that people have, and, and why they need to go and buy your book for starters? But what what we need to understand about amino acid story? Okay, so if you look at nutrients, there's three things that are called macronutrients, the big ones. Okay, there's carbohydrates and fats and proteins. Mm-hmm. Now, all of them are made out of three things, carbon and hydrogen and oxygen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amino acid, amino in Greek means nitrogen. So amino acids make up protein. So proteins have nitrogen, but carbohydrates and fats don't have nitrogen. Right. Okay. Now, an amino acid, if you think of it, if we use a, uh, an analogy like, um, like language, so in the English language, there's 26 letters, and you could arrange those letters in different sequences and different lengths to make words. And so in the English language, I don't know, there's 350 or 400,000 words. Mm. Okay, Some yep. of them are very short, like one letter, like I or A, one letter. Some of them are really long. In amino acid chemistry, the alphabet is these things called amino acids. Mm-hmm. And there's 22 of them, roughly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you put them, to, and, they, and so they are carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, plus they have nitrogen. So they're called amino acids. And if you put them in different lengths and sequences, you get proteins. Mm-hmm. Now, by definition, a protein has to have 30 or more amino acids in a chain. Right. Yep. But if you took, there are, there is a hormone in the body, which is just one amino acid, tyrosine. Uh huh. And if you put iodine on there, you get thyroid hormone. So thyroid hormone is made out of an amino acid. Wow. Tyrosine with three iodine. or four iodines attached. And that's thyroid T3, hormone. T3, T4. Okay. T3, T4. Yeah. Okay. Glutathione is a well-known antioxidant detoxifier. Mm -hmm. It has three amino acids. Mm. So the body puts those three in the right order, and it makes glutathione. Wow. It gets more complex. Insulin 
has, I think, I forgot, 89 amino mm -hmm. acids. Mm -hmm. And growth hormone has, I don't know, something 100, 120 amino acids. So the sequence of the 22 amino acids has to be just right or it doesn't make the same thing. Yep. You know, every insulin has the same sequence. Uh, the skeletal muscle is made up of two proteins. One's called actin and one's called myosin. Mm -hmm. Actin has 5,600 amino acids per one actin fiber. Wow. So if your body wants to make muscle fiber, you work out, you tear That's it. That's a lot of protein. <laughs> it takes 5,600 of these amino acids to make one fiber. Wow. In the right combination. In the right combination. <sighs> so most of us, so I, this, I got injured. I was tr training for an Ironman, and I, I injured my hamstring. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was a vegetarian. Now, vegetarians are on low-protein diets by definition. They're not eating meat, fish, and eggs. That's where the major proteins are that we take in. Uh, and beans don't cut it. Uh, so I didn't know this. I'm just no. a doctor, and I'm a yep. dumb triathlete, and I think <laughs> I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I get injured. And I can't figure out how I can get it healed. I injected it and massaged it and chiropractored it. And I did heat treatments and I, I did everything. Wouldn't get better. Wow. And I had a friend who had an amino acid mixture and he said, well, try these. He was in Europe and he got these things and he said, try these. And I tried those for six weeks and my hamstring healed. Wow. It actually healed. I could do, go to a track do hard quarter miles, no pain. And about three months later, I went to Canada and I did Ironman Canada and I had my best time ever. Wow. And I thought, holy smokes, this stuff is really, something's happening in my body that's good. I noticed a couple other things too. My, my maximum heart rate went up by 12 points. I could hit 176 on a real hot day going up a real steep hill on a bike. And I could hit 176 and it went to one, uh, 184. Yep. So I got a change. I got a physiologic change and improvement. So I started playing with these amino acids and I started measuring levels of amino acids in the clinic of patients that I was seeing. And what I found is that almost everybody had low levels of amino acids than what they should, wow. especially these things called essential amino acids. Mm -hmm. Now, eight of the amino acids are called essential because the body can't make them. You've got to get them in the food that you eat or in the supplementation. From those eight, you can make the other 14. So... If you don't get the eight, you don't make proteins because all the proteins have the essential amino acids. And if you're low in one or two or three, you're not going to make the protein. The whole thing now, you doesn't take some, work. Yeah. It doesn't work. And the proteins turn over. They're always being rebuilt, remodeled because through our life, they're stressors. All the enzymes in the body that make energy and detoxify it are proteins. They're made out of, of amino acids. And so if the body isn't getting enough there are 50,000 proteins in the body wow. that need to be made all the time. And if you don't have enough coming in, 
the body is going to say, I'm going to fix this tendon, but I'm going to let, let the immune system sag. Or I'm going to fix this whatever, and I'm going to, I'm going to let the bones go because bones are made out of collagen, which is a protein, and I'm going to repair something else. And so uh, uh, the gut lining is supposed to get a new layer every three or four days. Yeah. But if there's a shortage, it might be, uh, let's put that off. Mm-hmm. So it's every six or seven days or eight or nine days. Or a person gets a, uh, they over, they get an overuse injury. And then it's weeks before it heals instead of, why isn't it healing in a couple of days? It should be able to heal up. So it's because there's a deficiency of amino acids. And so all these patients had deficiencies of amino acids. And so we put together this formula called Perfect Amino. It's eight essential amino acids. Mm-hmm. And it's in a very specific blend. So and that's that we take the amino acids, the body utilizes it. 99% utilizes it to make body protein. So there are thousands of athletes or post-op patients or pregnant or nursing patients where you give them the supplemental amino acids and the body just starts to work better. It heals better. It performs better. Immunity is better. Osteoporosis gets better and you can make a huge difference. So the search for the perfect protein was really my search for what is the perfect thing that works better than meat and fish and eggs by a factor of at least three to six times that you could take as a supplement. Nobody wants to eat pills as their meal. So you eat good food and you eat animal proteins. And if you're a vegetarian, you don't want to eat animal proteins, then you need to take more essential amino acids, more perfect amino, because the, the, the amount of amino of essential amino acids in vegetable foods is low. And they just aren't good enough to really keep somebody nourished. I have tested thousands of vegans and vegetarians on their serum amino acid levels. They look terrible. Yeah. A lot of these people are tired. They don't feel well. But they feel like the healthy thing to do is don't eat meat. Yep. Fine. I have no argument with that. But then no. you got to make sure that you're getting the stuff you need so your body doesn't suffer. And Perfect Amino is vegan. It's kosher. So like anybody with a, a list of it's got to fit these things, yep. um, they can take it because it's a safe, clean product. And the, the, the amazing thing that I didn't understand was that when we're looking at foods and saying, well, we'll get our protein from our food, say a whey protein drink or a piece of steak or a, a fish, um, you see uh, in your talks I heard whey protein, you're actually only using around 16% as actual protein gets integrated into the body and the rest gets used and turned into either carbohydrates and actually if you're like, uh, you know, trying to keep your weight down or anything like that, um, you know, I've got lots of friends who are trying to do, uh, you know, low-carb diets and then you're taking a steak and and not realising that part of that steak uh, will turn into into carbohydrates. Uh, So a steak was, I think, 33% and fish was around the same. And and eggs were quite high, weren't they, at 48%. And breast milk was the best at 49% that actually gets utilized. Yeah, utilized in the body as a protein. And I was like, wow, so half of what I'm eating is not actually being used in the right way. And when I looked at spirulina, because I'm very big on spirulina, and I'm, oh, it's got almost, you know, 64% protein. and And then 
realizing that actually you're only using a tiny portion of it. Not to say that spirulina is bad because there's lots of great reasons to take spirulina, but as a protein source, it's not the optimum. And then the other interesting thing that I found is like um, just harping back to my mum's story, she's got fatty liver disease and some kidney issues. So I've got her on a very low protein diet and I've been concerned about what her ability to recover and, and do all the things that her body needs some protein when I've got her on a low, you know, mostly vegetarian diet. Um, now I'm excited to get the perfect aminos because I had to have a low pro, uh, protein diet with her because she can't process nitrogen. Now nitrogen for listeners is, of you know, the protein it takes the nitrogen off and then it has to be processed in the liver into urea and then excreted in the kidneys. Now, if you've got liver or kidney problems, you can't get the the urea out of the system. And of course that leads to problems where you've got too much nitrogen, which is a toxin and you can get gout and so on and, and worse things. Uh, so this is a really good thing for people who have kidney disease, for people who are on dialysis, for people who have fatty liver disease or alcoholic liver or anything where it's impaired, these detox processes and you can't take your proteins. This is a way to get those proteins without the nitrogen problem. Exactly. Exactly. And, and they, so you can meet their protein needs with virtually no calories because the stuff has practically no calories. 10 grams is only four calories. Wow. So if you're a dieter, you know, if you're, let's say we're going to go, we're going to go super lean, we're going to do low calorie and still a chicken breast is going to be 250, 300 calories mm. or beefsteak. Whereas you can get more protein in 10 tablets of perfect amino or two scoops. It comes as a powder too. And it's only four calories. And, and so you can spike. meet your protein needs, yeah. but you don't deplete yourself. And you don't get the calories. So for dieting, it's good. For your mom, it's perfect. Because Mm. see, immune-wise, these immune proteins are made out of proteins. And if if you're depleted, it may mean lack of immunity. And a lot of these people have chronic illness with kidneys or livers. They're susceptible to infection. Mm. And when you put them on low-protein diets, their gut, they get a leaky gut. Mm. And they leak bacteria. And they get infections. And then they have low immune proteins in their blood and they get, they can get really sick. They can get sepsis. They can, they can really get sick. They can get wow. skin breakdown. Yep. So mouth ulcers, you know, lots of stuff. So, um, so this is something that can be used by virtually all sick people are amino acid deficient. I mean, a hundred percent. I don't care what's, whether you've got cancer or Parkinson's or chronic fatigue, you have low amino acids. If you're an athlete, you most likely have low amino acids and your performance will increase. We, we've, we've had lots of super high elite level athletes that are taking this thing now. And I just tell people, if you're an athlete and you're trying to get performance, the guys that are beating you are on perfect amino. because they're <laughs> And you've had this tested in the Tour de France. I heard that story um, where the guys that were on the perfect amino were not breaking down like the guys, you know, because after 21 days of this extreme amount of exercise, you're smashing the crap out of your body. And right. at the end, they were turning out to be stronger than they had gone into the competition with these aminos and I'm like, Oh damn, why didn't I have that during my competitive career? It was good to have branch chain, but that wasn't really uh, the best option. Well, see, with branch chains, if you take the, the, of the eight essential amino acids, three of them are called branch chain. Mm -hmm. So there, that's just their structure. 
But if you take branched chains, see, every protein in the body has all eight essential amino acids. So if you're trying to build or expand your protein or recover your protein, if you're taking the three, you're not getting all eight and it won't work. So branched chain amino acids act like a carbohydrate. You might as well eat a banana. Oh, wow. Right? It's about <laughs> as good as that. Yeah. Now, what I've been finding, I'm so I'm doing an Ironman in two weeks. And I've been, we, I have this company called Body Health. So we make an electrolyte. So it's a mixture of sodium. It's got high potassium. It's got zinc and magnesium and trace minerals. And we put some, we put two grams per serving of perfect amino in there. So I'm putting my 22 ounce water bottles when I'm, when I go out on the bike, uh, 22 ounces of water. I put two scoops of the electrolytes. That's four grams of amino acids. Mm-hmm. And I put a scoop of the regular perfect amino, which is another five grams. And I'm drinking a bottle every hour or two, depending on how, on the heat. And I tell you that it's a performance increaser, recovery. And then it keeps your mind clear because wow. having these amino acids trickle in just gives your body a message that there's plenty available. You can work it hard. Yep. You can, you know, you don't have, there's no deficiency. And it really, I've found it just really makes a huge difference to, wow. uh, you know, use doses that, that are higher than what we used to recommend, but it actually works better. So because uh, someone like me who's done like 25 years of extreme uh, endurance sports uh, and, and really smashed my body, damaged my kidneys, um, constant problems with anemia, and now I have really uh, a problem with uh, my exercise tolerance has gone down massively in the, past, in the last uh, four years. I've, I've had lots of stress as well um, with sick parents and so on. But is there a way back? Is there a way to build that resilience that I used to have through, you know, like I have a very good diet, I have very good supplementation or, you know, constantly learning but doing well on all those points and yet the exercise tolerance is still very low at the moment. Um, So where I used to be go out and be able to run 200 kilometres, you know, now a 5K run is quite a mission. Um, is there a way back from there, do you think? You know, I should, should book in an appointment with you, but uh, to just look from an athlete's point of view, um, will this help with exercise tolerance as well as, you know, the recovery? See, see, you're, see your, your mitochondria are not, they're not producing. Yeah. Every, you can Something's reduce wrong. every <laughs> disease condition to it's a power failure. Yeah. You know, someone's it, pulled the, the plug. The, the bulbs are, you got a 10 watt bulb in a room that needs a hundred watt bulb. Yeah. And as long as there's daylight coming in from the outside and you can read, you can see with a 10 watt bulb, but when it gets dark, you can't read, you can't yeah. see. And these mitochondria are not putting, they're not making ATP. And, and so while you, they used to be able to crank out ATP, I don't think it's, at this point, that their structure is so damaged that they can't be recovered. I think they need some help, like some diagnostic help. Like what are the actual issues? Mm. What are the mineral imbalances? What are the hormones doing? What shape is your gut in? Do you have parasites? Are there heavy metals? What are your amino acid levels? Like you have to do sort of a, like where is the problem coming from? What is the weak link where that's causing this mitochondria to not be able to produce energy 
And so we do a thing where we actually do a test of mitochondrial function. We measure the, the VO2 wow. max and we measure what their, what their, you know, their actual metabolism. And you can say, wow, this guy, this, this guy can't do it. You know, you take someone with chronic fatigue mm-hmm. and their anaerobic threshold. So that's the, that's where they can no longer have enough oxygen coming in to keep up with what's needed. And they yep. start producing lactic acid. Yep. Their anaerobic threshold consists of sitting up in bed. They just hit their anaerobic threshold. Yeah. Like yeah. they can't walk to the bathroom. Yeah. Because it's too much. Mm-hmm. And then you take somebody like yourself, you could run 200 kilometers and you never were at anaerobic threshold and you were moving pretty darn fast with tremendous amount of energy being produced. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the machine is broken. I just think the machine has been stressed and it needs a rebuild process and that you could do it. Mm. And some of it's amino acids and some of it's, you know, hormonal and some of it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of tricks now to be able to like, how can we get this thing yeah. moving yep. so that we can get the performance back up. And then when the performance goes back up, you, it's like, oh, here it's I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And then, you know, I've been, I've been working on my own um, issues, uh, you know, while I'm learning all these other things and, and, and rehabilitating my mom and I've learned a lot and I'm certainly a lot better but there's always there's you know there's a couple of pieces of the puzzle mis- missing, so that's why I'm super excited about the perfect amino part of the story, and I'll report back to you on how how that um you know how that that affects me. But I because I'm damn sure that there's a protein deficiency going on. If I look yeah. at my whole entire history, there's always been a problem, and like you know getting off my case now, but just looking at the whole gut health uh, situation. Um, this is where it was really a, an eye opener for me too. You said that the gut lining is only one cell thick and it replaces itself every three, four, five days, but some people it's taking up to 10 days. And this leads to leaky gut where the zonulin and the tight junctions are getting too loose and letting protein and, and bacteria and, and, and things through into the bloodstream, which is causing systemic inflammation and problems everywhere. And it becomes a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? When you don't have enough amino acids, you can't, you can't make new gut cells but then you can't, if you don't have a good gut, then you can't absorb the protein and it sort of becomes a vicious cycle. Um, so this is a, a way to break that cycle. And yeah, I mean, these things, if you, if we've measured this, you take a dose of 10 grams of amino acids and you start measuring blood levels, of amino acids in 23 minutes, the stuff's in your bloodstream. Wow. Almost irregardless of what your gut health is like, like it gets in, it gets through. even with the gut absorption issues and um, yeah. working with a patient with celiacs, for example, at the moment who's got a lot of gut issues, and uh, so even for so someone you may like have that, to start them, start them easy, you know. Yep. Work Don't them up. go to thirty grams a day straight off. <laughs> go to thirty grams a day. <laughs> but you can get them, but but they'll it's it starts the repair process. Yep. And. And then they can, you know, nobody's healthy without a good gut and nobody, hardly anybody's got a good gut. So it's always a critical piece of the puzzle to get people where they're not bloated and they don't have heartburn and they don't have constipation. They don't have diarrhea and they like they wake up in the morning and they've got a flat belly that feels good. And you've got to get that person there 
with, you know, things that you're familiar with, with probiotics and digestive enzymes and perfect amino and, you know, these things. And, and you can, in most people, you can heal you them can up. Fix it. The digestive enzyme piece of the puzzle, is there any danger with digestive enzymes? Um, I heard your story about um, uh, Kelly William Donald's, the, um, the enzyme. Answer. Uh, yeah, the but those are, story. Was that, those are like those are those are those are so over the top strong. Um, so most people, digestive enzymes. Do you have a, a digestive enzyme product in your line? Yeah, yeah, we call it Full Spectrum Digest. Okay, and it's it's a really good product. It's it's a mixed, to that. Uh, digestive enzymes. There's some hydrochloric acid in it. The, mm-hmm. You know, the tolerance level on it is almost everybody can take it wow. without a problem. The ones I was experimenting with, they're really strong. Right. And that was uh, so that's, for cancer yeah. prevention. Yeah. And looking, right. which was interesting research, actually. But um, <laughs> um, so, okay. So uh, you, you're looking at those two sides of the puzzle. So people, like, and people, as, as they get older, we produce less stomach acid. And then there are billions of people on, on blimmin' acid blockers. And that's a real problem that's causing all these gut issues. And then it becomes the next pill to fix the next thing. So polypharmacy sort of um, situations that people get into. Uh, so this is a way out. Now, taking acid blockers, why are they bad? Or well, bad, they're bad long-term. Well, the enzyme in the stomach that starts protein digestion requires an acid to be active. So it's called pepsin. Mm-hmm. And if the pH of the stomach, so pH is a measure of acidity, one is the most acid, 14 is the least acid, so 14 is alkaline, seven is water in the middle. So in order for the pepsin in the stomach to activate, it requires a pH in the stomach of one to two, so that's very acid. Pepsin is the beginning process of breaking down the proteins that you eat. So you eat a chicken breast. So the the actin fibers in that chicken muscle have 5,600 amino acids in a chain. Now, your intestine will not accept that. It's too big. It will only accept it if it's chopped into little teeny individual amino acids. So if you don't break that pep, that, that actin fiber down into individual 5,600 individual amino acids, your body can't utilize that protein. It can't get it in. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So if you give someone a drug which doesn't allow them to produce stomach acid, so now the level of acid in the stomach is seven. It's water. Oh. The pepsin doesn't get activated. The first step in protein digestion doesn't occur. And so you, you don't get the benefit of the proteins that you're eating. The other side of it is, is in order to absorb minerals, magnesium, zinc, selenium, you need an acid stomach. And if you mm-hmm. don't have an acid stomach, you don't get absorption of key minerals. So we find 80% of the patients that we test, they have magnesium deficiency. Many have potassium on a cellular level deficiency and zinc deficiency and selenium. So these are key things. The other problem when you block stomach acid, the food that we eat is not sterile. 
Nobody boils their food until it's sterile before they eat it. We eat raw food, fruits, we eat raw vegetables. You know, we're, we're, there's bacteria on there. There's parasites on there. Yeah. And you eat that stuff. And if the, the mechanism of the body to protect itself from bacteria in food is that there's acid in the stomach and it kills the bacteria. If you don't have acid in your stomach, you eat that broccoli raw or the tomato. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the, you went to a restaurant, you had a salad, but right before they chopped up the lettuce, they had a raw piece of fish on the thing that they were slicing up and he didn't really wipe off the, 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 the cutting board very well. And then he yeah. put his lettuce on there, he's chopping it up. And so there's some parasites in that lettuce. There's some amoebas or something in there and you eat that and it doesn't get killed in your stomach, which is supposed to happen. And it gets into your small intestine. And there's a worldwide epidemic now of what's called SIBO. It's small SIBO. intestinal bacterial bacteria. overgrowth. Well, where did those bacteria come from? They came from your food. Why did they get through? Because you have no stomach acid. Oh my gosh. So Dogs can eat anything because they have humongous levels of stomach acid. Mm-hmm. And so they can go and eat out of puddles and eat all this stuff because they're, they have a protection. Whereas so by blocking we, it, we're actually causing way more. And the, the GERD and the esophageal reflex, uh, a reflux is actually not enough acid, not too much, isn't it? So, And as we get older, we produce less betaine or HCL um, betaine. Right. Um, so we, we need to be looking at our levels of, of stomach acids and enzymes, so pancreatic enzymes, our lipases, our proteases, yeah. our, all of the things that break down. And so having a supplementation of, of good enzymes and a good combination, yeah. in combination with the perfect amino, I think is a really yeah. <laughs> golden sort of, uh, and then add in a few, and people might think, well, isn't that just a whole lot of supplementation and can't I just... Um, you know, eat my normal food like we did back in the day, you know. Um, and the answer is I don't think we can because the world is in a complete mess. We are not living as we did 200 years ago and how our ancestors had good food and no glyphosate and they had good organic meats and they had and they didn't have this toxic influx of exhaust fumes and paint fumes and furniture off-gassing and all of these things that are adding to the load that the modern-day human has to deal with. And so, therefore, I think we do need appropriate supplementation, good organic food, and good exercise, good sleep patterns, good, you know, all those basic things that we often also neglect. Um, to have a healthy human. And this is why we've got like massive chronic disease now that we shouldn't be having. And, you know, the wonders of modern medicine is so that they can keep us alive with great, you know, great surgeries and great, but in what state is so many people are in a hell of a, a hell of a mess and they just get one pill after another. When you go to the doctor often, and this is not you know, everybody, thank goodness there's some amazing functional doctors out there like yourself. But often you go and you get a stomach exit because you've got GERD or you get, uh, um, you know, a blood pressure medication or, uh, you know, just one pharmacy thing after the other. And this whole model seems to be skew with, doesn't it? Yes. It's, it's totally all out of balance. With. Yeah, <laughs> skew with's a good yeah. word. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, sometimes in emergencies, they can save somebody's life. Yeah. But as a long-term solution, it's not workable. Yeah. And so, you know, American healthcare is the most expensive in the world, and yet we're 29th in the world in overall health. Yep. You know, medicine is not the answer. Lifestyle is the answer. Lifestyle is the answer. And, uh, I like it. And so, you know, it, that's nutrition and it's what you said. It's sleep and it's relationships and it's good nutrition and it's organic food and it's sunshine and it's finding what makes you happy and the purpose. And, you know, without those things, you, you drugs aren't going to fix you. They're never the right answer to it. Uh, like I said, in an emergency, it might be needed. You know, yep. you've got a bleeding ulcer. Okay. Take the acid blocker for yeah. three weeks until <laughs> your stomach heals, but then figure out what happened. What yeah. is an infection or what was wrong and get off of it because it's long-term, it's bad for you. You know, these drugs are associated with gastric cancer because they're bad for you yeah. and they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be used that way. So and they're our, across our, the board, aren't they? They're just like everything right. like, um, you know, antidepressants to, our vaccinations to, you know, these are all things that, yes, they may have some good things, but they're just given out like lollies, it would seem. And, um, you know, the damage that we're doing is uh, huge in a, a societal perspective where we really got some major problems. I mean, look at the whole contraceptive, and I won't go into that, but, you know, the, the damage that has been done to our whole, you know, fertility and woman's health and, 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 and so on, um, all of these areas. And so in our little way, I hope that, that this, you know, conversation, these open conversations and the sharing, you know, what I love about my podcast is that I get to meet amazing people doing incredible work and just help you get that message just that little bit further, you know, for a little bit more people. And it is, you know, basically one by one by one, we'll, we'll slowly be able to change. And if we vote, I heard you, you say uh, in one of you, your um, talks was that we vote with, with our dollar. If we start demanding food that's not packaged in plastics all the time, if we start uh, buying more organic and start uh, avoiding the things that are bad for our planet and voting with our dollar, then we're going to contribute to the solution because everything is dollar-driven, unfortunately. It's a reality of our world. Um, so we need to actually, um, you know, change each one of us, add to that, you know, conversation. Yeah, I mean, we make, you know, the reason why companies sell Doritos is because people buy Doritos. And, <laughs> and they, and they won't keep so making good. Doritos. <laughs> but they're addictive. Oh, you can't eat just one. Oh, hell they, no. <laughs> it's engineered that way. But if you eat, uh, you know, uh, you know, something else and the world turns that way, it, that's what, what, you know, Amazon bought Whole Foods because it's good business. Great. And that's good things. You can be, you know, you can, you know, the entrepreneur is looking for what, you know, what is going to drive the business. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's just that, like you said, each of us have a choice with what we buy and it's a vote. And the more we buy the things that aren't good for us, the more we support the industries that are doing things that aren't good for us. If all of us decided we are not going to eat any foods from now on that has glyphosate on it, 
Okay. <laughs> and then the farmer nothing. brings it and says, there's no glyphosate in here. Okay, I'll buy it. There's glyphosate in there? I'm not buying it. Yeah. And if we got 10 million or 20 million or 50 million or a billion people to say, we're fed up with this, we're not eating glyphosate anymore. You know what? They wouldn't make glyphosate anymore. Exactly. So yeah. we, you know, we got what we what we deserved because that's what we did. Yep. And we got, you know, we got blindsided. And I think we got bought. And the guys that run everything control media. Yep. And yep. 70% of the media is pharmaceutical, big agriculture. So they, if you watch a lot of TV, you're going to get brainwashed and you're going to buy what they tell you. So, I mean, you, you got to start getting yeah. your information from different places, yeah. <laughs> uh, like from you. And, yeah. and if they listen to you and turn off the TV set and then do what you say, and we get more and more and more and more people doing this, we can change the world. It's up a, to us. A movement by the people. Can't blame them. Yep. That's a, I mean, this is exactly what, like, I'm, you know, wanting to make a documentary around the, the vitamin C um, story. And uh, it's going to be very hard to get funding for such a thing because the media companies are also, you know, the, the, there's, it's so one-sided, <laughs> shall we say. Um, yeah. and, well, and this is a problem. Right. We're not right. getting the right, we're not getting unbiased information out there. I mean, in New Zealand, they advertise direct to our consumers drugs. Well, here too. It's just, I mean, I, d- I just don't understand it. We, we, we don't let them put smokes, uh, cigarette advertising on television, but we let them put pharmaceutical advertising and ask your doctor for this. And it's like, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and they control, you know, they control Google. They control everything. So that if you're looking for things, you're going to find what they want you to see. In the United mm-hmm. States now, there's a, the Justice Department of the U.S. government is going after Google for 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 controlling media of what they of what they want people to see, and they won't fantastic. let people see. Are they uh, doing it's that? Fantastic. Oh, now, I don't know. How, you know, I hope they can get it, but it's really true. They they have oh yeah, Google is censoring. And so, um, so you know, the, it's moving. Just hopefully we can get this thing moving fast enough before we extinct our species. Exactly. Because <laughs> we are. We are. I mean, yeah. our fertility rates are dropping. Um, you know, everything is, is heading downwards if we don't start to, to make a difference. And, and just to sum up, because I know I've, I've taken up far more of your time than I should have, but you said a, a beautiful summary in, in your book. Um, there is no such thing as a free lunch. For, for those people who say, well, I don't want to pay for testing and supplements and good food, um, you're going to pay in another way. <laughs> you're going to pay. You're just choosing to pay later and down the track with worse consequences or you're paying to be preventative. You're paying for good health. Um, and those are those those are the two choices. We're making a choice, and inaction is one choice. It is a choice, right? And no one bats an eye at paying five bucks for a Starbucks. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Maybe one every day. Yeah. Okay. So that's one hundred and fifty bucks in a month of Starbucks coffee. Well, you could buy a big canister of amino acids for that, and you could make your coffee at home for two cents a cup. Yep. And you know you'd be the same. Uh, so there, you, the, you're right. They're choosing, and if if what you choose is not pro survival in the long run, 
then you're going to end up in the medical system. Yep. And the medical system is very dangerous. You know, the third leading cause of death in the, in the United States, I don't know how it is in New Zealand is, is medical, you know, doctor caused illness, death, you know, whether it's surgeries or procedures or drug reactions, it is a real big deal. And if you don't want to end up as one of their statistic casualties, then you have to be able to orient your life toward nutrition and supplementation and detoxification and healthy living, then you don't have to mess with them. Exactly. And otherwise, you're going to end up in them because you're going to get high blood pressure or diabetes or osteoporosis or arthritis or one of these things. And then you're going to go to them and you're going to get a drug. And then that drug is going to cause a problem. And then you're going to get another drug. And then that causes a problem. And then pretty soon, you're one of their guys. And, uh, yep. and that's, you know, if people had to actually pay for their medical care, yep. none of this would happen. Yep. Uh, when governments start pay- paying for medical care, and, and the governments are run by the big lobbyists, then, and then you get free this and that, now you're really, like you said, there's no free lunch, you're gonna pay. You yep. just think it's free, but actually it's not. Yep, and, and I mean, I've just been through two huge journeys in my family with my mum, as I said earlier, with four and a half years of rehabilitation and uh, fighting the system. And now with my father and the the things that I experienced there, um, not being able to get him vitamin C when he was dying of sepsis and he was dying. And I was told, you know, that that he was, and I was still not allowed to give it to him. And I had to fight legal battles, ethics committees. I had to, I had doctors and friends on the outside that I'm connected to pushing for me, giving me all the evidence to present. And I am the second person in the history of New Zealand ever to get vitamin C in the, in the ICU setting, but it was too late for my dad, you know, and this is the things, this is the sort of thing we're up against. So I want people to understand that when they go, when they get stuck into that hospital system, there are limitations as to what you're allowed to do. You don't have jurisdiction over your own body anymore. And I wish it hadn't got to that point with my dear father. Um, And, you know, it's something that I'm going to have to, uh, you know, work through over the next few years. And and his legacy will be that I will get this changed some way, come hell or high water. (laughs) um, It's it's my ultra marathon uh, now is to change that one thing, you know, and there's lots of other things I'd like to change. But if I can get that through, that message, then... Um, I'm contributing to that story. Look, Dr. Minkoff, you've been just so wonderful today. Thank you so much for the generosity of your time. We've done a, a very long session. I would love to have another 10 with you. Honestly, I wish you lived in New Zealand. Thank you for the work and the dedication. I know that, you know, you could be just sunning yourself uh, in Florida and um, retiring and enjoying doing Ironmans all around the world, but you're still passionate about this work. And I, and I love Uh, learning from masters like yourself. So thank you very much for your service. It's really awesome. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure you can pull this off. I would hate to go up against you if I was (laughs) the medical board. You can do this thing. You just have to keep hammering on them because they they don't know what they're talking about and they're stuck in a stupid idea. And and it can be changed and and your, your contribution is enormous. And thanks for what you do. Thank you so much, Doctor. 
That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. And head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 